0: That we are continuing our series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and I was uh, thinking this week about this story. Um, <laughs> so when we put Olive into kindergarten, uh, it was a little bit of a challenge. Um, you know, I know a lot of parents really struggle with, like, oh, the separation uh, from their kids, and I think Laura struggled with that a little bit, but mostly the struggle— <laughs> was with Olive's behavior in school. Um, She is, if you've had a chance to spend time with Olive, she's a sweet, sweet kid. But she has what we're learning to call impulse control (laughs) issues. Um, But I remember the first, like, few weeks of school, it was just nonstop getting these messages. I don't know if now you get these messages from teachers. There's apps where they'll say, hey, your kid followed the directions today. Or you'll get, like, your kid was doing crazy stuff. Um, But I remember she was getting in trouble like almost every day. And we ended up getting this message that said, Olive lost a point or whatever it was at the point at that time that said, Olive lost a point because she she punched a crying boy. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I remember reading it and being like, Is the order wrong? Like that can't be right. Like she punched a crying boy, and we 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 got in contact with the teacher, and we're like, I'm sure this is incorrect. Like she punched a crying boy. She's like, No, that is correct. That's what happened. But here's what happened. We found out like she was at recess, and she had a friend from church who was at school with her, and it was like one of her only friends at the school at that point that she knew, and they were playing. She didn't know that this boy had another friend who came over and they started roughhousing. And so Olive, who we've learned more and more has a strong sense of justice, saw this happening and was like breaking up the fight and 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 you know trying to get it to stop. It wasn't a fight, but she was breaking up what she thought was a fight. A teacher came over and like kind of started disciplining him and the kids started crying because he was getting in trouble. Now Olive thought this is my chance. <laughs> and just lay the kid out, just punched him right in the face. And I was like, you know, part of me was like kind of like proud that she had this sense of justice. But, you know, we we, we are a family that believes in a lot of nonviolence. And so we talked to her about that. And, but I remember, <laughs> and still to this day, we all live has impulse control issues, but we are working with her on that, but I realize we started really disciplining her, and really like setting boundaries, and taking away, uh, you know, privileges, and having consequences, and, and we were doing the things that you're, you know, maybe supposed to do as a parent, um, but I, I started to realize that my motivation, and a lot of the discipline, and a lot of the the consequences was not necessarily, it was somewhat, but not necessarily for her, but it was because of her behavior, how it, it related to me. Like what people thought of me as a parent. And I realized that um, there was this unfair kind of expectation, these unfair th- attitudes that I had um, towards my daughter. And I was doing things that were that were the right things, but I was doing it from the wrong motivation. And what I've learned over the years is sometimes even if you do the right thing, but the motivation behind it is wrong, oftentimes you'll get bad fruit. Oftentimes you'll get bad fruit. And the reason I'm telling you this is because, um, you know, a, a huge theme in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that we're talking about is how. God cares more about our insides than he does our outsides. God cares way more about our heart and our motivations and our, our you know, what, what, the, the things that are deep inside of us than he does about if we are doing the right things, right? If we are simply making the right choices, I've told you a number of times that my dad and mom would always say to me growing up, I care way more about your insides than your outsides. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here on the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's redefining our sense of morality and our sense of righteousness and our sense of ethics that, you know, he'd say it often, you've heard it said this, but I say this and he's bringing it back to these internal matters. And so that's why we're calling this sermon Redefined. And today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip 9 through 15, because we're going to talk about that next week, and look at 16 through 24. And what this this passage looks at is Jesus is going to be looking at what is our motivation in life. What is the thing that dictates why you make the decisions that you make? What is the the reason you make the decisions you make? And what Jesus talks about is he says, what do you treasure in life? Where are your treasures? What is the ruling driving factor in our life? Because ultimately, that's what's going to inform the decisions you make. So why don't we pray real fast and then we'll jump into the text. And what we're going to do is we're going to do it kind of backwards We're going to look at verses 19 through 24, and then we're going to jump back and look at verses 1 through, just because I'm trying to make it difficult for you guys, Uh, but why don't we pray real fast? So Lord, I thank you again for being here with us, and Lord, I ask that you would speak to us through your word, and we just say we are open to what you have to say in your name. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 19. Jesus says to his followers, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And just real quick, that, that word money is not money. It actually kind of means possessions and, and you know, the, the desire for stuff and security and more is kind of what it means. But he says you cannot serve both God and possessions. And so as I said earlier, this text kind of addresses two different things. It's kind of talking to us about two different things. It's talking about one, you can put this next slide up. It's talking about what are you living for and who is your master? What is the the driving factor in your life and what are you ultimately serving? And oftentimes I see that these two things are intertwined. They they mix together a little bit. But we're going to look at both of these and we're going to start with number one. What are you living for? What are you living for? What is your goal in life? The way that Jesus puts it is he says, what do you treasure? Where is your treasure? What is the thing that your heart is drawn to? What consumes your thoughts? What is the thing that you would say this morning that that you dream about, that you pine after? Where are your hopes and dreams? And I think that would answer the question of what we truly treasure and what we're living for. You know, I've learned through going to a therapist that modern psychology often talks about that human beings have these things called core longings. There's these things inside of, you know, every human being called core longings that everybody has, and there's these real basic things like identity, like who am I? And this longing to be safe and a longing to belong to something and and to have purpose and 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 things like that. Just these really core things that human beings need. And what I would say that, that Jesus is talking about when he says, What do you treasure? is he's saying, Where do you fill these core longings? Where do you go to have these core longings met? And I would think ultimately that's where we can find what we treasure. Because Jesus makes a distinction in this about what you treasure or what you're striving for, what, what you go to to fill those core longings, they can be one of two things. They can be earthly things, he says, or they can be heavenly. So he says you can, you can meet these core longings. You can live for earthly things or you can live for heavenly things. In other words... He's saying they can be temporal things, created things, or they can be eternal things. And what I find is that we often, most of the time, put our hope, we find our identity, we find our safety, we find our security and purpose in temporal, earthly things. At least I do. I don't know, my... I'm preaching to myself a little bit here. But we, we look at these earthly things. We look at things like money and wealth, and we, and we say, this is going to make me feel okay, is if I have enough money. Or we look at career, like if I had a career, if I was doing the job that I want to do, then I'd, then I'd be okay. If I had this career path, then I'd have significance in my life. Then I'd belong or, or we look to health or fitness. If I just had this level of health or if I lost this amount of weight or if I looked like that person, then I'd feel okay about myself. Then I would be worth something. Maybe for some, it's family. If I, if I found a spouse, if I had kids, if, if, you know, if my family looked like this, or if my kid behaved like this, then I'd feel okay. And here's the thing. None of those things are bad. All of those things are like wonderful, beautiful things that we are, you know, we can enjoy and it's okay to want those things or to desire those things. The problem is is sometimes we overvalue those things. And we make those things the primary thing in our life that we say this is what's going to give me significance. This is what's going to give me hope. This is what's going to give me purpose. And oftentimes we don't realize that we're doing that um, until you know, you know, crap hits the (laughs) fan. I know a number of or a couple years ago, when Laura and I moved up here, uh, we were we were staying in this tiny little apartment with. Laura and Olive and I, in the middle of COVID, where everything was done via Zoom, we were like basically sitting on each other's laps, like trying to have two different Zoom meetings and trying to go to school online. And it was just really stressful. So we were looking for a house. And um, long story short, we realized our, our our loan almost fell through because when the, the, the person who was giving us the loan realized that I didn't have a guaranteed salary anymore and that Lara didn't have the history of salary. He was like, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to get a loan. And we were just, I remember literally having a panic attack, literally feeling like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to survive. I don't know how we're going to do this. And I, I started, real, I called my dad and, and just was like freaking out. And I realized how much security and hope and, you know, all this stuff I was putting in getting into a house. And when that fell through, it felt like the world was crashing. Have you ever felt like that was something? Oftentimes, we don't realize that we're putting our hope in something until something goes wrong. And then all of a sudden, we feel panic. We feel uncontrollable fear. See, the issue is oftentimes we make things in our life high priorities or this is where we're going to find peace or joy or hope. When we say things like this, when we say, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. If this would just happen, then I'd be okay. Or once this happens, then, then I'll feel all right about myself. And here's the problem. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about how the Church reinforces this with like marriage, like marriage is gonna make you happy or or being a parent is gonna make you happy but but, I think culture reinforces this all the time. all we hear on advertising is you're not skinny enough, so you can't be happy unless you have our product or or your house is not clean enough, so you're not gonna be happy. Enough unless you have our product. I mean, I mean, every product, every advertisement is basically based on that idea of you're not okay unless you have this. And then the movies we watch, I talk about this a lot, but I remember it hit me when I was watching Jerry Maguire. You guys seen Jerry Maguire? You know the scene. It's like the classic scene where Tom Cruise is standing before Renee Zellweger. Remember what he said? He said, you complete me. And we all go, yeah, yeah, you complete me. But the reality of that is that's called codependency, bro. (laughs) That's bad. That's not right. When we look to a spouse to say, you're going to complete me, that that is going to, listen, here's the deal. When we look to anything temporal to complete us or to give us these core longings, we are going to ultimately be left Let down. Because probably they won't satisfy us. They probably won't satisfy us. And even if they do, there's a chance we may lose them. There's a, like here's, what I have found over and over again, there's all these studies about, you know, lottery winners who will say they won millions of dollars and they are more depressed. They're more hopeless once they have all that money. Makes no sense to me when you are like living paycheck to paycheck, right? But it's the truth. I shared this story, I think one of the first weeks we we were at church, but I remember, I, I know Amy, you're a huge Tom Brady fan, so this might hurt your feelings a little bit, but Tom Brady, who who I gotta admit, I, I for for years I was like, I think he's so overrated, and then there was one point, like about like ten years into his career, I was like, okay, he's good, um, and and really, if I'm honest, Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever to live. Uh, I know, I know, but but this year I'm cheering because he's not doing so great. Uh, but anyways, I remember <laughs> a number of years ago, I think it was after he won his fourth Super Bowl. Um, And if you don't know about Tom Brady, like he had everything, like he's going through some hard stuff right now, and so I don't want (laughs) to, but he had everything, he was like so successful, he was rich, he's like super handsome, he had a beautiful wife, he had all this stuff, and he was sitting down with this interviewer, and this interviewer said to him, hey, which one of your Super Bowl rings is your favorite? Is it your first one? Like the one that you dreamed about since you were a little kid? Is it the last one that you won? And he said, no, it's the next one. It's the next one. And the interviewer, like, made a joke, um, but said, you know, never good enough for you, Tom. And then this moment that was like, this moment of, like, really profound clarity, Tom Brady said, yeah, why, why is that? Like why is it never good enough? And then they moved on. But I remember watching that interview and thinking, if it's not good enough for Tom Brady, all the success in the world. And the reality is, is all the success, all the 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 perfect family, the the perfect job, the the right amount of zeros in your bank account, all those things, like the the perfect body. Ultimately most likely they're not going to give you the feeling that you thought they were going to give you. And like I said, even if they do for a moment, they will let you down. Because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says the problem with putting your hope, finding your security, your identity, the problem with putting these things in in earthly things is that they're not going to last forever. They're temporal. He he says, you know, a thief could come and steal them, or or moths and, and 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 vermin could destroy them. And essentially he's saying the best things that this world has to offer, the best things in life do not last forever. You may lose your family. They may get into an accident and you may lose them. God forbid. There may be a crash in the market and you lose your retirement. You may may get fired from your job. You, You might lose everything in this world. But God says, so therefore, put your treasures in heaven. Put your treasures in God because God, Jesus, is everlasting. He is eternal. And He doesn't change, He doesn't waver. The The best love, the love that I can give to my wife or my wife can give to me, one day I am a great husband, and the next day I'm an awful husband. And, and you know what I mean? She's saying, no, I'm, per, I'm a great, I'm... So. <laughs> but it, not so with Jesus. With Jesus, he is always facing you. He was always for you. I love what Hebrews chapter 13 tells us. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. He's solid. He is solid. We can go to him to inform who we are. We can go to him to find security and peace and hope because we know that he is steady, that he is steady. And if you want to know what he's like He loves you. He is for you. He has saved you. He wants to know you and be known by you. And we can count on that day after day he desires you and he wants to know you so deeply and he wants you to to know him so deeply because if we lose everything if i if i lose my family if this church falls apart if if all if i lose everything i will not lose jesus he says i am with you always and there is nothing that can separate you from my love not even hell not even the deepest darkest can separate you from my love. That's how for you I am. And when we put our hopes and our dreams and our desires into that, we we don't have this constant anxiety and this constant up and down of life. Listen, guys, I am growing in that. But but I will tell you, I have been marked that any time I am living out of anxiety, any time there is turmoil and tension internally in me, I have learned to realize I am not putting my hope in him. When I go home and I'm stressed about this church and I'm anxious about how we're going to grow and all, or, or how I'm going to take care of this situation or I'm stressed about Olive and, and if she's going to do well in school or I'm stressed about our marriage or I'm stressed about our bank account or I'm stressed about my health or I'm stressed about whatever, I start realizing I cannot put my hope in these things, but I can put my hope in the eternal. Jesus is saying, where do you put your treasure? And the second thing he talks about is he says, who is your master? What are you ultimately serving? What is it that dictates the way that you live? What is it that informs the decisions that you make? Who are you serving? Who who is your master? And let me just say this. Oftentimes when we hear that, like, when we talk about obedience, when we talk about if we're serving God and he is the master, that can feel oppressive, right? When we think about like following Jesus and being obedient to him, that for many people that it feel, feels oppressive. And I think it's feels oppressive, honestly, because there's really bad teachings on it. and And there's this understanding of a God who just has a bunch of these arbitrary rules to live by, and he's up in heaven wagging his finger at us, constantly disappointed in us, and he had to send Jesus to make it right because we're such failures, and he's mad at you. And if that's what we believe about God, then then it, then it is oppressive. It does feel oppressive. But here's what I want you to understand. When we talk about God being our Master, when we talk about Jesus being in charge, it's because He made you and He knows why He made you and He knows what's best for you and He wants you to thrive. He wants you to have an abundant life. It's like if someone created um, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, T- Tim, you do programming, you you make programs. And if Tim gave me a program to use, and I was using it in an incorrect way, and everything was falling apart, him saying, hey, this is how you actually use the program, is not oppressive. It's actually freeing, right? It's actually saying, this is the best way to live. This is how you're going to find the most life. This is how you're going to have the abundant life that I have for you. Stop messing around with this stuff, because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to you know, bring you down. But if you do the things that I made you for, you're going to find, you're going to have those core longings met. And Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You can't serve two things. You can't serve God and money, he says. But he could have easily said something else here. He could have easily said you can't serve God in success, or you can't serve God in health, or God in approval, or God in comfort. He could have said anything. And typically, these two questions we talked about, the what are you living for and who's your master, they're intertwined. Because oftentimes we'll find what we treasure, what we're living for, ultimately informs the decisions we make, right? And what I have found is this is ultimately a question of worship. You know, what we did earlier is um, great. I love singing. I love, you know, I spent most of my ministry career leading worship. Um, But what we did is just like a tiny little part of worship. But when we think about what worship is, it's these questions, What are you living for, and who are you serving? I love what David Foster Wallace said. Can you put this quote up, Manny? He says, there's actually no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. David Foster Wallace was not a Christian, but I think he understood the reality of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you are always worshiping something. If you're a Bob Dylan fan, he had a song in the 70s that said, you, you got to serve somebody. And if, if money is the thing that you are living for and that you're striving after, then you're worshiping money. If success is, then you're worshiping success. And if you're like me, it's multiple things. If you're like me, it's pretty much a daily habit where I have to realize, the way I look at it is I feel like I have a throne in my heart. I have a throne of my life in my heart, and daily I have to say, oops, I've been putting something else on that throne. John Calvin says, the human heart is perpetual idol factory, that we are constantly building idols to worship, and it's it's things like those things we talked about, success, money. And in this section, Jesus talks about money or possessions, but it's interesting because earlier, if we look at it, we're just going to zoom through it real fast, because in that culture, the two probably most prevalent things that people worshipped were money, possessions, wealth, or it was religion and being looked at as righteous, and being looked at as they were holier than thou. And so listen to what Jesus says at the beginning of the chapter. He says in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's saying, whose approval are you looking for, theirs or mine? Are you living, is, is the approval of others on the throne of your life? And he gives some examples. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he goes on, he talks about prayer and we won't read the whole thing but he says don't pray you know using big words in public and trying to impress people and he says and when you fast don't just fast and let everybody know you're fasting and here's the thing is jesus saying that any public display of spirituality is wrong no that's not what he's saying because if we look through the bible there were oftentimes Jesus did public displays of spirituality. And there's lots of charitable, you know, wonderful acts in the Bible that we read of that are public. And that's because I don't think Jesus' point that if you do something good, it doesn't count unless it's done in secret. I don't think that's his point. I think he's saying, are you doing it out of the overflow of your heart? Or are you doing it for clout? It's like, do you, have you seen those, there's so many like videos on YouTube and TikTok and on Instagram of people, oh, I know, where they're going up to people like, hey, homeless person, here's some money for you. And it's like, it is so degrading, dehumanizing, it is, it, it, they're doing it to build a following. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. You are, you are seeking the approval of others. You are putting your treasure in the approval of others. Are you doing the right thing out of the overflow of your heart? Jesus is again saying, your motivation matters. Your heart matters. He's saying, I care about your heart more than I care about your actions. And so he says this thing about where we store our treasure, not to give us another rule to live by, but so that we can thrive, so that we can live the abundant life that he is promising us. And ultimately, he wants us to be free from that anxiety, that that you know, dissonance in our life. There's this constant, like, feeling of anxiety, this undertone of anxiety that we're all living by, uh, living with, and Jesus says, I want to settle that in you. St. Augustine puts it this way. He says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's why Jesus is saying this. This is why Jesus is saying Don't put your treasure in earthly things. Not because he's like, I wanna make sure you guys are all like worshiping me. He's saying you will thrive that way. You will find rest that way. The anxiety, the fear, the the constant feeling of what ifs. They began to 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 maybe not completely go away. We're works in progress, but they begin to get smaller. And so how do we do this? What is Jesus asking of you? I think for each of us this morning, it can look different what Jesus is asking you to do, but I think it's ultimately the same. Do you know what Jesus wants from you? He wants you. He wants you. He wants to know Know your heart's desires. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know what you were created for. One of the things we say in this church is you were made on purpose, for a purpose. And God wants to share that with you. We were talking with my family yesterday, and we were saying, you know what the gospel message is? We've complicated it so much. You know what the gospel is? Come to me. The gospel message is Jesus saying, come to me. I want you. And Jesus is inviting you into that. And he wants to begin unfolding the, the mystery of what he made you for and, and all these beautiful things. I, I, I say it all the time that I don't tell Olive that she can be whatever she wants because ultimately that's not true. I shared with you guys, my ultimate desire is I want to play for the calves. I don't think that's going to happen. I can't be whatever I want, but you know what I can be? What Jesus made me for. So my goal for Olive is to help her find that. And my goal for each and every one of you is for you to start discovering the purposes, the good things in which God has made you for, and more and more for you to to start realizing, as I am learning more and more, that God just wants you, and he wants to know you and be known by you. And for you to put your hope and find your peace and find your security Because I want to ask you, where are you looking for security? Where is it that you're looking to, to bring you significance, to give you purpose? And Jesus is saying right now to you, he says, come to me. I am eternal. I won't let you down. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stand?